Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and it's Monday, the day of the week that we bring you some of the messages that you've sent in over uh, over the past few cycles of the show. Uh, let's see, Rob, should I start off with this one about crabs? Oh, please do. Okay, this is from Nick. Nick says, uh, I'm catching up on some of the Stuff to Blow Your Mind backlogged episodes, and I just finished your second episode about crabs and food. My brain, connecting crabs and food. Why not cookie dough crab? This is a little confusing, but but he makes sense of it. Nick says, a few months ago, this picture of a sponge crab came across my feed, and it took me the better part of the morning to determine if it was a crab that looked like cookie dough or if someone made a cookie that looked like a crab. Either way, delicious. Regards, Nick. Uh, Nick, I... I would be really impressed if this was actually cookie dough. This does look like a real decapod crustacean to me, but I see exactly what you're saying because you're dead on the texture covering this animal looks exactly like raw cookie dough. And I can't tell because I don't know what species this is. This is just an image from the internet. It does look real, not faked, but I, I can't tell if this is like an animal with wet sand stuck to it or if this is just what the carapace of this crab species looks like. Well, then, the, and there are also a, a number of different types of sponge crab, I'm to understand. Right. But uh, yeah. I do remember when this was making the rounds initially, I think one of the, the things that jumped out to me the most is that the crab essentially looks like the ginger dead man from the <laughs> 2005 full moon uh, picture starring Gary Busey. That is a very unfair comparison to make to this this beautiful arthropod. <laughs> but yeah, I want to know more. Is this sand or is it not sand? It, could it really be that the crab's shell looks like that? Has that kind of wet, granular, cracked appearance? It, it seems too perfect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they have uh, like a spongy looking shell, uh, but uh, we haven't, I don't think we've done, actually looked at them, uh, like covered them on the show before. Oh, and we've covered a number of different types of crabs, so who knows? We'll have to come back with, with more crab content in the future. All right. Uh, speaking of other organisms that we have covered on the show, uh, here's a bit of listener mail from Sarah. Uh, the subject, Ditch Witch. Uh, Sarah is, of course, responding to our episodes on the tumbleweed. Hi, guys. I recently listened to your episode about the tumbleweed or ditch witch. I found the information about the possible origin of some of the plants commonly known as tumbleweeds very interesting. I am descended from and live in an area of Kansas settled by Volga Germans or Germans from Russia who immigrated to the Great Plains in the late 1800s due to its similarities to the Russian steppes. There are also communities of Volga Germans in South Dakota. I find the theory about the Russian thistle seed being unintentionally introduced by contaminated grain plausible. I know that many of these immigrants brought other plant seeds with them on purpose. For example, a berry of the nightshade family called Schwarzbären, uh, commonly called blackberries. This berry is not well known outside of Volga German communities, but I have fond memories of picking buckets of them in my grandparents' backyard and eating delicious pies and kuchens made by the family. In performing genealogical research, I have found that this berry is also found in Volga German communities in South Dakota and elsewhere. 
The Russian thistle and other tumbleweeds are very well known here in my rural area. High winds and tumbleweeds are common, but about a month ago we had a windstorm that was out of season and had winds up to almost 100 miles per hour in some places. Many areas lost power due to the winds and anything not held down disappeared from yards and lots. The day after the storm, I had to to travel for work, and it was incredible how many tumbleweeds were caught in the miles and miles of barbed wire fences. It sounds hyperbolic, but they were so thickly pushed into the fences and piled so high on top of one another that you could not see through the fences. Being used to running over the occasional tumbleweed on the highway, I can't imagine what it would have been like to drive through the windstorm. Anyway, thanks for always providing such a great show, and keep up the great work. Sincerely, Sarah. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Well, but now I want to know, are the Schwarzbieren, so you say they're not well known outside of these communities. So that makes me think they're different than other blackberries. They're just a different fruit also called blackberries. I don't know if you know anything about Schwarzbieren, Rob. I do not. This one is a new one on me, but just a quick search on the the subject seems seems to back up the claim here. Oh, okay. I just looked them up. Yeah, they look more like, uh, kind of more like blueberries. Yeah. If I, if I saw them, I, I might be afraid to eat them because they don't look like the blueberries I'm used to eating. But, you know, but they look, um, they look edible in the dangerous way to me. Like, like it looks like I could eat them, so I probably should not. But unless, of course, someone said these are safe to eat, you may eat of them. And then I would say, yes, okay, I will have some. Well, actually, I'm going to say that this is a fruit that appears to have thoroughly confused Google image search, because if you do a Google image search for it, you get results that are clearly blueberries and results that are clearly the commonly known blackberries. And then also these other things that look sort of like blueberries. Well, I just ran across a whole page about them on uh, recipes from a German grandma on uh, online. So that seems to check out. Well, well, isn't that nice? Well, I, yeah, I'm not. Who, are you going to doubt somebody's German grandma? No, nope. I would never. I would never doubt your berries. All right, I'm going to read this next message from Owen, also about tumbleweeds. Owen says, "Hey guys, I loved the first episode on tumbleweeds, and oddly enough, am super excited to hear more. I live in Utah, and although tumbleweeds don't seem especially common here, I did have a sort of wonderful moment with one last year. I live in a valley, and my house sits right up against the mountainside atop a series of mild hills overlooking the main part of a city." Uh, Anyways, I was walking up the road to my house on a blustery winter day when I saw a tumbleweed ambling toward me. I don't know why, but I couldn't take my eyes off it. Maybe it was that unpredictable bouncing, but it was, as you mentioned, almost like an animal. I watched it as if it were a fox moving toward me, then slowly away. I watched it until it turned a bend and was out of sight. I spent the rest of the walk home in awe. They may be a problem, but they are certainly a natural beauty in my eyes. On a more comedic note, there's a scene in the movie The Ridiculous Six where Adam Sandler sort of transforms into a tumbleweed in order to sneak past a group of men. Certainly bizarre, but I loved it. Here's a link to the clip. Uh, I went and watched this clip. Uh, All the best with whatever movies you like, but I... I have to note that he's making the, you know, the infamous Adam Sandler noises while he rolls in tumbleweed form. So he's, you know, Abby Doobie and all the way past the guards. He does uh, look like he just, I'm watching the clip now on mute. And um, so I'm not getting to hear this wonderful sound you're describing, but he does, (laughs) 
appear to transform magically into a tumbleweed. Yes. And then Owen Wilson's brother is there to watch him. So, uh-huh. how would you, well, how would you describe the, the Adam Sandler vocalization? It's like, it's like angry baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is kind of an intentionally, uh, like, you know, juvenile kind of silliness, uh, you know, to the voice. Um, I guess it's one of those those things that uh, that kind of t- took on a life of its own. Like I don't know if he could stop doing it if he wanted to, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Now he just is the Adam Sandler noise, and and his body belongs to it. Yeah. Yeah. Though I mean, credit to Adam Sandler, he was really good in that movie uh, Uncut Gems a couple of years back. Oh man, that was a good one. Yeah. Depressing. Not 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 a feel good movie, but uh, but he was uh, he was quite good in it. Not a comedy. It had yeah. some funny parts though. Yeah. But I agree. Very good in that. Uh, oh, but I got to say also, Owen includes another movie reference. I haven't seen either of these movies. Uh, so the first one is that Adam Sandler movie. The second is the the latest SpongeBob movie. He says uh, it was oddly funny, but he says uh, there's a scene that's oddly funny where Keanu Reeves is a tumbleweed that gives advice, uh, though it seems to be implied that he's made out of sagebrush. Uh, and I, I found one link of this scene that's one of those looped for 10 hours videos. I don't know oh, why wow. somebody did that, but they did. Well, this is this is actually very well executed. I, I, I'm not current on my SpongeBob, so I was just expecting uh, the standard animated format. But this is computer generated and with a real life uh, Keanu Reeves inside of this kind of beautiful tumbleweed looking structure. Very well executed. <laughs> Though I got to be honest, I don't know if this is a good thing to loop for 10 hours. Uh, uh, something that's a 10-hour loop has to have a certain inherent loopiness to it. Uh, like the 10-hour Hypnotoad, I think, is my ideal. It's the platonic form of the 10-hour loop video. I mean, I guess at this point, you just you just probably create a lot of 10-hour videos of just about everything and you just throw, throw them on the wall and see what sticks, see what takes off. Ooh, I just thought of one. I don't know if it exists. You know what would be good? It would be a 10-hour loop of... Uh, Nedry in Jurassic Park going, ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised if it doesn't exist already. Anyway, thanks for getting in touch, Owen. Rob, you want to do the next one? All right, what do we have? Uh, it's a duck uh, episode. It's a duck uh, email. No, it's a tumbleweed one. It's titled Duck, a Tumbleweed. Um, this is from Meg. Meg writes, as asked, a New Mexico voice, but maybe not with answers to your questions. As a transplant from Cleveland, I loved your opening discussion about driving and the tumbleweed onslaught dilemma. Do I hit the big one or the bigger one? I still recall moving here and seeing my first real tumbleweed roll in front of me and having the holy crap, it's real moment. And it has never left. I regularly pause class to point out one rolling by the window and recall odd moments in lacrosse coaching when I had to pause practice till the tumbleweeds rolled across the field. Spring is crazy windy in Albuquerque. If you're ever passing through again at Christmas time, right near the big eye where I-40 and I-25 cross, there is a huge tumbleweed snowman. Huh, Ooh. okay. Uh, I think I'd seen stuff online about tumbleweed snowman. I, 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 I don't think I saw one when I was there, but I was in this area. Uh, anyway, Meg continues. Another thought, 
Roadrunners, another Southwest thing that still makes me stop and pause. Watching them hunt in my front yard is so cool. You really cannot but see micro raptors stalking their prey. They have, uh, I have had many a clever girl moments as one slowly approaches me, cocks its head, looks at me, clicks, and runs away. I know it's thinking, if only it was bigger, it could attack. If you haven't done a podcast on the continuation of avian dinos into birds, that would be cool. Oh, thanks, Meg. Uh, I don't know if that's ever been the subject by itself of a podcast, but it comes up all the time. What, Roadrunners? Or, oh, they no, the fact that birds are dinosaurs, that like they are the dinosaurs that did not die out at the, at the KPG extinction. I sadly only have one verified Roadrunner sighting, to my credit, uh, and it was one of these situations where I saw it, and then I described it to someone, and I was like, was that a Roadrunner? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was probably a Roadrunner. So I didn't really get to appreciate it in the moment so much. The real clue is when it paints a tunnel opening on a on a cliff face and then you run into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I, that's probably what was the confusing thing about it is they don't really look like the cartoon Roadrunner. Yeah. Uh, they do. They look more like dinosaurs. Um, and uh, and I guess the, the one I saw, it, it seemed to look like scraggier than the ones I see in pictures. I don't know. Maybe they just had a, a run in with a, a dynamite laden coyote or something. Mm-hmm. I know what you and well, I guess Meg was saying the same thing. I know what Meg and you are saying about them looking like dinosaurs, though. Folks, if you've never seen a Roadrunner, look one up. They they look like an illustration from one of the more current dinosaur books. Yeah. Speaking of avian dinosaurs, um, I, my, my mind turns back to our previous discussions on on the basilisk, mm-hmm. uh, which um, in, in some incarnations, uh, you know, in, our, in artistic representations, they look like avian dinosaurs. You know, or they look more; they end up looking more like chickens, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have to say, the second season of The Witcher, which uh, which we finished, uh, it has uh, some uh, some basilisk show up in the, yeah. the final episode. And they really brought them to life in an interesting way. They essentially look like big dinosaurs without looking too much like dinosaurs. Uh, very cool uh, feathered uh, monsters. I know. I, for some reason, I see my future. I'm breaking down on this. At some point, Rachel and I are going to end up watching this Witcher show. And, <laughs> or we, you know, like I said, like actually watching it instead of just like briefly glancing at the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. It's um you know, it's uh, it's it's the Witcher. Um, so you know, you got to <laughs> go into a certain expectations. But I don't know. I I've I've, I've gotten into it. It's got some good magic, some good uh, monsters, and uh, and ultimately, I think it does some good character stuff. You know, I hate to be the person who has a weird plausibility nitpick with a show that's full of fantasy and magic. Anyway, mm-hmm. but the one thing that always gets me about the Witcher, this was there in the video games too, is dude, he has he carries his long sword in a thing on his back. You don't, you, your arm isn't long enough to pull it out of a scabbard on your back. That's hmm. why people keep the scabbard on their side. I mean, yeah, yeah. like, just imagine trying to do that yourself. Like, the blade is too long. It's longer than your arm is, so you can't actually get it out of the holster if it's on your back. True. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I do find myself pausing at times and, and thinking about that that sort of it kind of has like a guitar case on his back yeah. that has swords in it which seems to imply not not like a quick draw situation but more of like i'm a professional i have now arrived at the scene i will now prepare my weapons and kind of go in i don't know oh well that kind makes a, sense I, i'm thinking about i guess maybe it's different in the show in the games he just wears them like a person would wear you know like he can draw them quickly from the scabbard but they're on mm-hmm. the back hmm. i don't know why that drives me crazy I don't know. I, I'd, I'd have to have to rewatch some of the episodes to to really weigh in on that. I don't 
I don't remember exactly exactly how he pulls out his swords. Uh, but once he does, he just yeah. really slings them around. Maybe, maybe that's magic, too. There's a magic <laughs> scabbard. Anyway, cool basilisks. I, I yes. recommend the basilisks. Yes. Okay, well, I look forward to seeing them. All right, well, I think maybe we should jump ahead to uh, a response we got to our Weird House Cinema episode on Jack Frost, a.k.a. Morozko, the the Russian fairy tale uh, Christmas time movie. And this was a message we got from Natalia. It was a really excellent letter, though it was very long, so I had to edit it down a good bit. Are you ready, Rob? I'm ready. Let's do it. This is a, this is a great email. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. So uh, I'll say I'll summarize a bit at the beginning. Uh, Natalia starts off by saying some very nice uh, things about the show, and she introduces herself as Natalia from a city in Russia called Kazan, uh, Kazan or Kazan. I think I've seen it pronounced both ways. Um, but anyway, uh, she gives some personal background, saying that she has the Russian equivalent of a PhD in biology and once worked in bio research, but then later in life got interested in English, which she now teaches professionally. And she says she's been listening to the show for a while, but finally had to write in after our episode on this very familiar movie, because uh, she says she's 50 years old now and grew up watching Morozko at least once every year. Apparently, our episode gave her the idea to use Russian movies dubbed into English in her English classes. And if I understand right, it sounds like she she's saying that she developed a multimedia lesson in her classes uh, involving a dubbed version of Morozko and our Weird House Cinema episode, <laughs> on it, which she says uh, she says was a hit with her students ages 16 to 32. And if that is true, that that is so nice to hear. That is. Uh, but from here, I'll, I'll just go into the text of the email where she shares some Russian cultural insights on questions that we had about the movie. There's, there were some things where we were like, I don't know if this is like a historical Russian thing or if this is just a, a weird thing about this movie on, on its own. Yeah, like is this something isolated to a folktale or is this something that uh, is indicative of, of a larger uh, um, uh, reality in Russian culture? Yeah. Uh, so Natalia writes, uh, uh, as a gesture of appreciation, I'd like to make some comments. Not sure you'll find them useful, but you wondered in the episode and this is the least I can do. First of all, regarding hair. Now, uh, as a, as a bit of explanation, you remember there is a lot of attention paid to hair and braids in Morozko. For example, the wicked stepmother is often threatening some kind of violence to Nastia's braid. So, uh, like she's, she'll threaten to cut off her braid as some kind of dire warning. Yeah. Or especially the, uh, the stepsister, uh, really wants mama to cut off that braid, uh, cut yeah. off her braid mama. But, you know, she's like, well, what will I pull her by then? Right. To, to cut off the, the, the stepsister's braid. Right. Yes. Step, yeah. Cut off the stepsister's braid. Uh, it's, it's too beautiful. So Natalia writes, the tradition of particular respect uh, to hair goes back to pagan times. Our ancestors believed that one who held your hair held your destiny in their hands. That's why cut or combed out hair was never, ever thrown away. Hair was thought to be a source of wisdom and strength, and hair style was very informative both in men and women. I read that Russian warriors used to shave their heads, leaving a single strand on the top, which they braided. Supposedly, pulling that braid, a Slavic god uh, Svarog 
either took the luckiest sons of his from the battlefield or transported the deceased heroes to the other side, although in most pictures, warriors simply have long hair. And then she goes on to uh, explain some of the the traditions about uh, what you were supposed to do with your hair in in these uh, older times. She says that uh, girls started growing hair approaching their teenage years. Girls should always wear their hair in a single braid. If a young maid was engaged, she changed the way of weaving a ribbon into her braid. Married women wore two braids, a symbol of two-ness, and covered the hair completely, for showing your hair in public was a dreadful shame and nearly a deadly sin. Spinsters were not allowed to have two braids, no matter the age. Widows cut their hair. By and large, the hair and braid was not only the sign of physical health, but the main asset of a bride, and a groom had to pay for it a separate charge to the family. Losing a braid was a real disaster and shame, and the girl or woman had to stay at home until it grew back. Cutting off the braid was one of the severest punishments. Mm. Uh, And this is interesting. A lot of this kind of reminds me of... Uh, traditions that we talked about. You remember, Rob, in our uh, episode on on nail trimmings, we got into that history of religions paper by Bruce Lincoln, the the religion scholar, about uh, about lots of different traditions from widely disparate uh, religions about how you're like all this special care taken to properly dispose of cuttings from people's hair and their fingernails or toenails. And that he, there were a number of different explanations for, uh, for these traditions, but Lincoln's idea was that it went back to, uh, the creation myth of the proto Indo European religion that had something to do with a person being killed and then their body turning into the earth so that the vegetation of the earth was the growing of, of this dead body's hair. And thus like in order to sort of live your life, according to this sacred myth, you had to take special care about what happened to your hair, because in a way it was a symbol of the fertility of the earth itself and the crops. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a fun episode. You're getting into also the uh, uh, like fingernail ships and all of myth. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that was a good one. But of course, she doesn't just share uh, information about uh, about braids. She also gets into uh, the the sleeping arrangements in the movie, which we had some questions about, and uh, and this this was very insightful as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so Natalia goes on. She says, you were absolutely right about Marfushka's bed. Remember, Marfushka is the the mean stepsister. Uh, who sleeps in this weird thing that looks like a crib. And we were like, did people actually have beds like that? Or is that saying like she's just a spoiled baby or something? Mm -hmm. Uh, So Natalia says, you were absolutely right about Marfushka's bed. It is a fictional feature, I would say. Put in the scene exactly to emphasize her overindulged attitude. Teens did not sleep in cribs. In fact, you probably noticed that Marfushka's mother also has some fancy wooden bed with a carved headboard whilst her husband sleeps on the, quote, Russian stove. Those are also signs of the family hierarchy and privileges. But in general, a long time ago, kids and elderly people in Russian villages slept either on the back of the Russian stove or on the huge shelves high up under the ceiling, usually adjacent to the stove, called, um, I'm not sure I'm saying this right, but I think Poletti, I guess in English transliteration, P-O-L-A-T-I, uh, but uh, she says those were the warmest places in a hut. And then she attaches an an image that uh, shows a, a more modern house that's sort of a recreation of, of the format of an old Russian hut that would have this big 
uh, I guess, stone or earthenware stove that would probably get warm and stay warm throughout the night. And then right next to that, there's like a bunk for sleeping that's up near where the ceiling is. Yeah, now this is interesting. Um, I remember when we did, I guess this was the invention episode we did on beds at one point. We talked about um, some similar... um, uh, approaches to sleeping arrangements that you uh, encountered in um, in Chinese culture. Yeah. Uh, certainly in, the, I think, maybe more in the northern climates. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't recall offhand. Uh, but yeah, the, this idea of like a bed stove, uh, which which ultimately makes a lot of sense when you're, especially when you're imagining in a, a, a more traditional living environment where uh, you, you have this this uh, this stove, this, uh, this this engine, this place of heat that you've invested resources into. Um, you know, of, of course, you want to sleep next to that or on top of that, if uh, if, if possible. Uh, so uh, that's interesting, and I, lo- I love this picture that uh, she included of uh, of, of the uh, the Russian hut, the, the traditional Russian hut uh, situation with the Russian stove. Yeah, yeah, this is really interesting. So I would say everything about the sleeping arrangements in the movie then is realistic, except for the fact that Marfushka is in a crib. I think that's just because that's because like she's like weird and messed up. Yeah. <laughs> And then finally, Natalia says, it can't be helped. I'm going to recommend you yet another couple of Russian movies. One of them stars Ina Churikova, whom you're familiar with already. Uh, Ina Churikova was the act- the actress who plays Marfushka. Uh, Natalia says, both movies were directed by the tremendously successful and very popular film director, Mark Zakharov. The movies are The Very Same Munchausen and The House That Swift Built. I thought you might like them, although I'm not sure if they're dubbed copies. And then she provides a couple of links. In the end, she wraps up by saying, I wish you nothing but the best. Fondest regards, Natalia. Uh, So anyway, thank you so much for this excellent letter. I am so happy to hear our episodes have been uh, useful in teaching English. So it's funny. That's not the first time we've had somebody say that. At least one other person has written in before saying they were using our episodes in uh, English as a foreign language classes. And, and that always gives me a slight chill because I'm wondering what <laughs> bad language habits of mine I'm accidentally passing on. Right, right, right. No, I, I feel the same way. I, I, I want to say it was somebody teaching, uh, English as a, as a foreign language in, um, in part of China. I could be yeah. mistaken on that. Yeah, we, we did hear that at least once. And certainly, thanks for the uh, the movie recommendations. Uh, we're always uh, always delighted to uh, discover and explore uh, new motion pictures, uh, just in general, but also for Weird House. I know that we have at least a couple, probably more than a couple, of uh, Russian films on the um, to watch list. Mm-hmm. I know there's a uh, there's a horror film in there, and then various science fiction features. Yeah, yeah, but I, I guess the, the the list of Russian films is getting larger because we'll have to add these two to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anytime there's a, a, a shot at a Munchausen film, that sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close the mailbag for today, but certainly go ahead, write into us. Let us know if you have any thoughts, feedback, uh, um, expertise to share regarding uh, anything we've covered on the show, uh, core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, other uh, listener mail episodes, our, uh, our artifact episodes on Wednesdays, or of course, our Weird House Cinemas. All of it is fair game. Uh, write in and uh, we will read what you have to say. 
You can get all those episodes, by the way, in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed, which you'll find anywhere you get your podcasts. That's right. Uh, big thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.